0: You're
1: listening to Whoa.
2: And welcome to the ninth edition of the Good Pop Culture Club for Friday, May the 29th, 2020. Um the Pop Culture Podcast for uh for this new normal era, I guess.
0: It's been a week, Marvin. <laughs> it's been a week.
2: And it's the end of another month, the end of APA Heritage Month, uh, to be exact. And that means, once again, it's time for our Do We Want This segment, where we discuss and run down this month's entertainment news. But before we get to that, uh, my name is Marvin Yue, and joining me once again is self-proclaimed professional Asian-American just Ju.
0: Just for one more week, Marvin, then I'm taking a break.
2: <laughs> and also, culture editor Han Wen.
0: Hello. I won't be taking a break.
2: No, pop culture stops for nobody. It keeps marching and marching. And guys, this has been a week.
1: Yes, very, very much so. Uh, it's been hard to focus on my job, in fact. Like, just trying to write about frivolous things or or not so frivolous things while, like, serious matters are going on in the world. It's really rough. I
0: feel ya.
2: I mean, we started with last weekend when um, Central Park Lady called the cops on uh, Mr. Cooper, the bird watcher. And that was followed almost immediately by the case, um, the George Floyd case out the of Minneapolis. The murder of
0: George Floyd by Minneapolis police, uh, which included one of our own. Not, We don't want that, but yes, it did happen and it's important to acknowledge. Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and then just every, all the conversation around it and just the trash f- locusts are coming back
2: and then there's been you know protests and riots in Minneapolis um hu- a huge protest yesterday here in LA
1: oh yeah and uh I think another one going on like is it now I don't know uh just I uh I feel like every single thing I tr- like that gets shared to me is a really bad news piece these days it's not even like ha that's cute like yeah people are garbage
2: I mean, yeah. Just yesterday, there was that story about that YouTube family um, that gave away a baby they adopted.
0: Oh, the trash adoption lady, yes, who apparently adopted a child, a special needs child from China, and the quote rehomed him. Which, yeah, you don't rehome children, Marvin. That language is also like, I
1: love pets and animals but usually when you talk about rehoming that's with a pet
0: yeah i think in the article she's also on record she's gone on record and said like he found his forever home i'm like yeah are you it's... talking about a dog or a human child
1: yeah she was not a foster mom she was his mom this is ridiculous anyway yeah getting off topic but yes yes people, garbage. people
2: be being garbage this whole week and yeah, so for the next hour, uh, we're going to do our best to, I guess, bring some levity and some joy to your world uh, by talking about the good pop that's been getting us through these uh, stressful times. But just, uh, just um, to acknowledge that the world is kind of a shitty place right now, um, but we all we all got to persevere. Um, you know, speak out, speak your truth. Don't be complacent, and you know, sometimes you got to take a break, and when you do. Enjoy some good pop because we all deserve it. But yeah, uh, let's check in with what everyone's been up to. Uh, Jess, what's been popping?
0: So I was going to talk. I've been rewatching a lot of things for, I guess, you know, my brain can't handle a lot of new information right now. I, pre-pandemic, Jess Ju had an amazing memory like I could recall very I could recall things very easily and I had a really good memory uh, that has all fizzled away in the depressing mush of quarantine shelter in place slash actual depression so I haven't been really I haven't really been able to consume a lot of like new content, especially like kind of higher brow content, which, you know, requires a certain level of analytics and analytical thinking to really enjoy it. So I've just been watching a lot of reruns of series I have watched before. And it's like two two different ones, which are like polar opposites of each other. One is bones which revisiting now in 2020 or in 2020 um every character is just trash in that <laughs> <laughs> series like it's a it's you know it's it's a fox procedural drama it's very pro police it's very pro military and i have you know very complicated feelings about that now with what's going on um but like booth is just like a terrible person booth and bones are just ter- they're terrible he like incriminates people he like coerces like stomping all over everyone's rights uh but he's like a quote good guy so like we're supposed to root for him and i'm like nah dude and she's just kind of like a terribly rude person i think what i think this happens in a lot of shows as the series goes longer and longer, you kind of double down on their defining characteristic and you have to amplify it to create more storylines. And it just, by the end, it's just, you're like, man, everyone's terrible. Y'all need to just not be doing this kind of work.
2: <laughs> I remember having a Bones phase back in like like the late 2000s. Where that, was, that was when that show was really big.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a very, I mean, it was a very popular show, um, and <laughs> it's not the first and it's not the last procedural that will grace our screens. But I do find it interesting. Well, well like between this show and like uh, like any cop show, right? That <laughs> kind of presents them in a very. Positive light without dissecting some of the issues that we've obviously seen. um, Yeah, seems almost.
2: And the the premise of that show is that like she's a was a forensic anthropologist. Is that what she is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So she could study bones. I mean, one of the things is like she's coded as like someone on the spectrum, right? Isn't that?
1: Yeah, she's supposed to be have autism, supposedly, because there are a few moments where she doesn't get how people are reacting. And she only knows science. And so that's, as much as a procedural can have people change, that is a little bit of her journey on this show is to becoming right. more uh, a, a neurotypical in, in her reactions.
0: It wasn't the neurotypical. There's just parts where she's like a jerk.
1: There's <laughs> that like
0: too. But no, it's she's, she's, to- she's actually fine in the beginning. But then like during, so that's the thing that like, trips me out like she she's presented as like kind of socially awkward but brilliant and like a hard ass in the beginning but then they lean into it and then it seems like towards the end she's more on the spectrum which right. wow. se- seems weird i don't even know i don't i try not to give too much clout but i i picked a random episode and just kind of watched it started watching through the series as i'm like doing chores or cleaning or whatever and I happen to come across the one like very special Asian episode <laughs> and I'm like, God damn it.
2: Who was the And it was
0: ridiculous. Who was the special please, guest? Who please the give the plot for this. <laughs> so they find a body that's locked in a trunk, but she's boneless. The victim is boneless. So they're like, oh no, how are you supposed to prove anything? And so of course they have to like bring in the Chinese anthropologist um so played by Michael Paul Chan mm. and it's something to do with like bone burial and bright eh, it's weird but like the like Lucille Sung who plays the grandma in fresh off the boat makes a co-star <laughs> in this episode which was nice. I'm pretty sure I might know some of like you know like the photos they show of like suspects or like the dead body where it's just like random <laughs> pictures. I may know who that person is. One I One of them know. is Did probably
2: get... angry Angel Man Phil you cuz his picture appears in random places all the time.
0: Does it? Do they clear that? I thought um, you had to clear that.
2: I feel like we need to do at some point we need we need to dedicate an episode on the very special episodes of these police procedurals, like the annual Law and Order in Chinatown, in Chinatown the, the tongs and the
0: gangs. Yeah. yeah, we should like do like a side by side comparison of what's happening and like, because, or play bingo. Like, oh, there's a prostitute. Drink, take a drink.
2: <laughs> yeah, because for decades that was the one opportunity. A lot of our fellow asian actors had to get on tv right yes
0: yes thankfully that's getting better but yes this was definitely a throwback um yeah. so i it, it just kind of left me with icky feelings. so to combat that i started re-watching old episodes of top chef all the old seasons in between waiting <laughs> for the new seasons uh not perfect definitely some problematic characters and we you know we definitely know more about some some of these chefs who have participated have been charged with various crimes of various mm. degrees um which we all know but also rewatching some of these there are some fan favorites that have really like rubbed me the wrong way now there's a lot of there's a lot of fragile te- white tears on this show Marvin <laughs> and han there's so many and it's just like i don't like i think watching them in succession also amplifies that which
2: season are you are you watching yeah which city is it the one with the Mean there Girls? Because that was a bad one.
0: That one is just explicitly bad. I don't watch that. I don't touch that season, <laughs> which was like the, the season where, you know, Beverly Kim of Parachute and where was the other place? I just ate that. Wherewithal. See? Brain, wherewithal, <laughs> yeah, of Chicago, where she was, like, legitimately just being bullied by two other contestants. But uh, I was watching, actually, season 14 which was the Charleston episode where a lot of a half, it's half vets and half new people. So oh, some of the vets fun. competing were Shirley <clears throat> and Brooke. And, um, you know, it was a really great season of strong competitors, but there's yeah. definitely moments where like Brooke cries a lot <laughs> and she is asking, she asked for a lot of like emotional labor from like the other contestants. And I think to a certain extent, the audience. Um, and like there's mo- there's been multiple contestants who, have left their families in, like, very important times. You know, some of the the spouses are, like, pregnant or just had a baby or, like, you know. And, like, everyone's kind of making the sacrifice. And the, a large part of the narrative is, and maybe this is more on Top Chef for editing, is, like, this, like, great sacrifice she's making. And she, like, cries every other episode about leaving her son. <laughs> well, I mean... This is just in
1: her defense, I have to say, like, I would not do well on Top Chef because, you know, the conditions of barely being able to sleep and having to go like whatever hours a day. Like when I lose sleep, I would probably be crying at a dog food commercial. (laughs) So, like, like, some people probably have higher tolerances than I do, but I, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something with her son, but I do remember that season. It was
0: great. (laughs) I mean, Shirley, I
2: I, I will always be a Shirley stan.
0: I'm always, I stand with Shirley. (laughs) Shirley was just like, I don't care. I'm going to take up space. You're not going to, like, stop over me. I love when she's in charge. Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) My My favorite memory of Shirley was I think it was the Louisiana season, the, her first season when she was making something with a like Chinese cleaver, and then people are like, "What are you doing?" And she goes, "Oh, it's going to get real loud real soon because then she turns it in because you know all the Chinese cleaver it's versatile, right? You use it to yes. chop, to cut, and also to smash. And she was using it to smash like garlic. Yeah,
0: she, she... every time that happens, and like honestly, half the time it's Brooke complaining about it. Even though <laughs> and they, she's they, also they seem a to loud be very talker. good friends. Yeah, yes, yeah. I'm sure they're very good friends, but like because you know chinese people we don't believe in buying like ground meat you have to grind it yourself you gotta know what's in there (laughs) so you just buy the pork loin or the pork butt and you take it home you don't have a grinder you're not gonna waste money on that you literally just (laughs) Just take the meat cleaver and you just start chopping like i i know and that's when i hear chopping in the kitchen i know we are having dumplings for dinner (laughs) Mm. um but then like so that and like um sarah in season 16 the most recent one and the what Sarah from Kentucky, and like you know, she's being like called out because she's like the box waffle mix, and she starts like crying, oh, and I'm like, yeah, nope, don't wrong. dish it, don't don't dish it if you can't take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was very wrong. Like, come on. um I'm going back to these dumplings, so uh, can I order any dumplings from
0: me? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll drop you off some. I'll drop you off some. My, I my would totally pay dumplings. for them. <laughs> she makes great dumplings, too.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, oh. because I bought some frozen ones, and then I bought a book about making dumplings, and I'm like, I'll get to that at some point um, because I'm not a bread person, but I, I just haven't yet. It's like, the, I would problem buy some is,
0: the problem is I've legitimately have been trying to... One way I've been trying to connect with my parents during quarantine when we're sheltering in place together is I've been trying to learn some of, like, the traditional recipes that my family eats all the time. And she's the most useless wealth. Oh, she's the most useless dearth of information. She cannot (laughs) teach me. Literally, every time I ask, like, what are you putting in there? She's like, I put that. How much? I don't know, whatever I feel like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the measurement, whatever I feel like. I feel yeah. like Han and, and I honestly, had this
2: exact conversation, yes. the previous podcast. All <laughs> of them
1: are like this. And sometimes they will use their hand to show you. And I'm like, that means nothing to me. Um, but at the same time, I, I've kind of just had to accept it. So I either have to watch them um, and then take my notes and like pause and, and like, and try to approximate or... My mom will write me the recipe and then send several follow ups and say, oh, I forgot this. Oh, I forgot this. Mm. And then I'll make it. And then something's missing. And she's like, oh, well, it's because you didn't do this. And I'm like, OK. So it's <laughs> like it's, it's I, I don't whenever like surely whenever someone like makes a, uh, a cookbook from the recipes from their family, I'm like, how long did that take you? Because we know how hard it is just to get one recipe out of our parents. Well,
2: because yeah. they didn't grow up with recipes. They learned from watching mm-hmm. their parents. Yeah. Right. And just, no one's, no one's writing down. Yeah. No one's writing down like tablespoon. Tea oh, spoons. no, no.
0: My mother would like to make it very clear that she just figured it out by herself. Mm-hmm. Because um, you know, my family's <laughs> from actually from the city. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't quite as like domestic as I think some people imagine. Uh, my grandma's can't cook. None of my grandmas can cook. Mm -hmm. It's usually my grandpas, but they were cooking for a job like outside of the house. So my mom makes zongzi, which is this like Chinese sticky bun wrapped triangular pyramid thing. And it's more about the technique. So I was like, hey, can you teach me? And again, the same thing. So she's like, you do this. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? Like you have to explain. (laughs) She's like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's just Mm -hmm. happening. So I was, I tried to make a few It was very obvious which ones were mine because the corners (laughs) were not closed. And she's like, what am I supposed to do with that? If I boil it, it's going to fall out. I'm like,
1: I don't know. (laughs) I love how they're also not like, this is none of this uh, uh, uplifting you. They just totally shade you on your lack of skills. Like they'll they literally laugh at me, my my aunt and my mom whenever I like make egg rolls or anything wrapped with them, they'll like point at it and laugh and be like, <laughs> you can't like you're gonna eat that one, <laughs> so they're
0: like, oh, it looks so bad, it's so yeah ugly. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, no encouragement whatsoever, <laughs> yep, that's yep. any
2: dumpling I try to wrap because I don't know how to wrap the did dumpling. you
0: guys try to have like a lovely crazy rich Asians moment with your parents after that movie making dumplings I did and all I got was oh my god they're so ugly you need to stop I'm gonna do this so
1: every time I go back to Houston usually my aunt sets aside a day and then my aunt my mom and I we will assembly line some food so it's usually some sort of dumpling whether it's like an egg roll or a some sort of like banana leaf wrap something. But the problem is every time I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And so that way you can give me the recipe. I'll arrive and they've already made the full bat of stuff. (laughs) And then I'm just like an assembly line worker. So it's like, I don't have the knowledge. Um, But so we actually do that and it's very nice and fun. But, uh, and because we can chat over, you know, while doing it. So I do have to say that is part of my upbringing, but whether or not i know how to make it without them pre-making the
0: stuff for me i don't know
2: yeah it's sad that like we all have limited time with our parents so yeah got to find time th- to like get th- these you'd recipes you think
0: they'd recognize that but <laughs> no if it's nope. gonna if it's gonna t- to damage the integrity of the dumplings get yeah. out of here it's like teach me to fish <laughs> they're like no you suck at it go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but that's what's i've been up to but han what's popping with you
1: OK, so this is funny because, you know, we usually talk about like what we've been retreating from reality from, which is usually something fun and lighthearted. But uh the launch of HBO Max, which I'm sure a lot of people out there are really frustrated with, was still very entertaining to me because it was such a... Like, it's such not a big problem for me, even though I was frustrated also. So the, the deal with that is it launched as of May 27th. So that's probably two days ago Um, when you're listening to this. And, uh, and so it's a new streaming service. And the p- biggest problem is that it's not available on the app for Roku and Amazon Fire TV st- or Fire Stick. And then, of course, certain cable providers don't have it. Um, uh, as far as like, if you're, uh, trying to get HBO, whatever through them. And so there are people, let's say who got HBO through Amazon, but, and they're supposed to roll over completely to HBO max automatically, but they can't watch it because there's no app on their Roku or their Amazon. So, So
2: and this is like, so this
1: is 70 to 80 million people who have Roku or Amazon. Um, And so that's, yeah, it's a really big problem because, so you either watch it on your computer, you can cast it to your TV or do an HDMI cable, um, you can uh, buy a new device, (laughs) you can just wait until they get that deal together because this is the, the deal is, of course, is it's all about deal making. So uh, I'm sure... Roku and Amazon have been trying to get, like, you know, broker a deal, but like, they're probably asking for too much money, whatever it is, it's not happening right now. And, but people are rioting on, you know, just look at the hashtag HBO Max fail. And there's some, it's it's delightful to me in a very Schadenfreude way. Um, just because since this is my job, I'm just like, I hate it, but I will watch it on my browser if I have to, because that's how I watch a lot of screeners anyway. That's not my preferred way, but I just make do. Um, But uh, it's, it's just been like of all the problems that have been going on this week, this is the most like sort of sad and delightful ones just because it's so in certain ways inconsequential it's low
2: stakes right it's low stakes yeah. drama but still like, yeah. so I am actually one of those people who <laughs> I've subscribed Gosh. to HBO through Amazon so but then I also I'm able, able to watch HBO Go or HBO Now I forget which one is the app version on mm-hmm. my Roku so both mm-hmm. the platforms that I watch the HBO app on yeah
1: Amazon and Roku are you're out
2: yeah they <laughs> They didn't roll over i didn't i don't have my mac so i don't i don't get like i'm looking at twitter seeing all my friends watch all the ghibli movies and i'm like mm-hmm. i don't i don't have yeah. the ghibli you
1: can't even start uh it, well it's funny because i mean i have sources and sources uh but from what i could hear so many things came together at the last minute for example comcast xfinity hadn't signed on until like the night before, perhaps
2: YouTube TV as well. They they sent out an email yeah. like the night before, yeah, like hours yeah. before the launch. Like because I had TV, to yeah.
1: right before I published my story, I actually removed the Comcast line, <laughs> saying that they couldn't didn't have it. And like it, the the Harry Potter deal, getting all of those movies didn't happen until an hour or so before launch. <gasps> so I mean, because there was all of a sudden there was a story, and I'm like, wait, why are we <laughs> getting this story? To, day and it's because it it took to the 11th hour for them to like get it pushed through which is funny because it was supposed to go to was it peacock or another i don't know (laughs) wherever it's supposed to be but yeah i mean yeah like craziness
2: comcast is NBC, which is in direct competition with at&t which is warner and they also both own their own like is internet service providers it's
1: It's a mess. <laughs> it's such a mess. But on the flip side of it, I do have to say there uh, there are two shows I enjoyed from the um, launch as far as two original or what they call the max originals. Because there were six shows that premiered plus a uh, documentary. And the two shows I happen to like are reality shows. Mm. Um, one is called Craftopia starring uh, an Asian um <laughs> her her, uh she's known by the Sold. handle of of lord diy lauren uh rihimaki or something like that i don't know how to say her name but anyway mm-hmm. so she's a very popular youtuber who is super cute bubbly asian who does crafting but on the show it's all kids who are on competition so it's kind of it's like something you would oh. see on nickelodeon or um disney channel so it's very poppy a lot of colors and they bring in these young crafters, including one I recognize because I follow him on Instagram called um, this guy named Jonah Hands. He's like this champion crocheter and he's like 11 years old. There's um, such
0: thing as championship oh, level crocheting? You
1: go follow him. <laughs> he is so fast. Anyway, um, so uh, so they get two tasks to do. Um, like, let's say, make an invitation, a themed invitation to something. And so they just have to use whatever skills they have. And then they have this huge craftopia like store where it's just filled with every single crafting you can, get. like, you want glitter, you want pom poms, you want whatever. There's hot glue guns for days. And, um, it's so fun to, to watch them make stuff because a lot of them are actually pretty good. Uh, there are a lot of Asians on there. Um, and then, um, I, I would have to say, Because of the whole pandemic, I think this would also still appeal to adults who are learning new crafts and are probably of that level because there's no way I can crochet like, you know, Jonah hands. But. (laughs) Uh, but there are other things where I'm like, that's so ugly. And I'm like, oh, it's just a kid.
0: Like, why I'm such an evil person? <laughs> no, but no, really- you judge. You judge on the same level, huh? Yeah. Okay, They can they either show up or they get booted <laughs> out. Actually, I don't know what kind of competition this we is. We all have to get? start somewhere. They, yeah.
2: one, <laughs> there, is,
1: there is one elimination. But before elimination, they always get a gift card for Kratopia. Um, So there, no one's too sad. They almost always say, I had so much fun. Um and uh like there's there's a secret like blingy panda purse that they hide on set and if you find it you usually win a prize so sometimes it could be like a drone or a karaoke machine or uh one time it was an uh, airbrush uh paint airbrush thing um which like this kid who like designed sneakers he's like oh my god I need that uh so it's actually really really fun uh mm-hmm. it's pure entertainment um happy. No one is sad. Um, And then the second show is Legendary, which is which you might have heard of. It's basically uh, a ballroom competition, not ballroom as in dancing, uh, traditional dance, but the ballroom as in like Pose and uh, RuPaul's and Paris is Burning. So they have all the houses which are real houses compete and there are eight houses. And then they're judged by uh, a panel that includes a uh, fellow Asian uh, Jamila Jamil. Um, then there's Megan the Stallion. Uh, some someone Roach, La Roach, Mac- uh, La Roach, La Roach. And, uh, and, and, and Leomi
0: Maldonado. And Le-
1: yeah, Naomi Maldonado. Yes. And then there's a rotating guest. Um and on one of the episodes is uh, Tyson Beckford. But anyway, what I love about it is like first of all, it's just so fun to see them do like the marches and like you know own each other and Vogue. But um, they also break down certain categories in a way that, for me, I am learning like what it takes and and so it actually helps me with my critical eye. Um. When I see things later, I am like, "Oh, they did do this well, and this this is synchronized or whatever." Because a lot of times, it's just a, it's just a spectacle, and it like looks cool, but I don't know how to break it down. Um, so, yeah, those yeah. are my two recommendations I from feel like HBO that's Max.
2: Like my trajectory with Top Chef is like, at first it's like, "Oh, they're making fancy foods," but now I am like, "Hmm, I see what they did wrong there." I am critiquing their yes. like thought yes. process
0: yeah like I can't do any it. of this. I can't do any of this, not even a facsimile, but yeah, that could' have been tighter.
2: <laughs> they teach you
1: so yeah anyway i I highly recommend those
0: legendary would be is literally the only show that has even gotten me to consider adding on another streaming service. <laughs> it looks yeah. so good,
1: yeah, I mean, they have lots of course you know, library content, movies and TV shows and whatever. But if it if you're the kind of person who needs maybe even more than that, you can wait a few months until there's stuff that you haven't seen yet on there. Um, and there are going to be new shows rolling out. Uh, yes. Let's just say
0: I'm going to be strategic yeah. with my free trial.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> hey, look, there is a Vietnamese American family reality show, Sydney, Houston, my hometown, that is coming, I think, next
2: month. So, is that the one they're marketing the as hose. Crazy Rich Asians, the reality show?
1: Yeah, yeah, which I hate because the thing is, of course, they're going to have to call it that. But I also don't always love watching rich people be bad. <laughs> um, but because it's Houston and because they're Vietnamese, of course, I'm going to watch it and uh, and see. And who knows? Maybe maybe a relative or someone I know in Houston will be on it.
2: Has anyone watched that Indian Family show, that's- family
0: karma.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's family karma. Then there's the what? The, there's the Shahs
0: of Sunset. Is that another? Yeah, that's Persian. Uh, that's Persian Americans yeah. in uh, Beverly yeah. Hills. But- I mean, I just
1: like seeing all the different colors of you know reality shows, even though I don't watch them. Yeah, <laughs> so
0: I have a hard time with non Top Chef Bravo reality shows, and I know there's a very dedicated segment, including one of my best friends I, who like rags on me all the time. I just, I'm I just don't enough like- mess. I don't like
1: watching rich, privileged people being rich and privileged. Um, that's always been a problem for me. So I don't watch almost any of these things. Um, I'll make an exception for this Vietnamese
0: one and I'll probably get mad.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, even Top Chef struggles with its bravelness every once in a while, right? It's, it's like the, the despite trolls, itself. Yeah. <laughs> the
0: trolls' horizontal integration.
2: <laughs> oh my God. Well, not to stick on Top Chef, but Han did make a really good point um, in a tweet this past week about how two of the prizes in this season of Top Chef has been nullified because of COVID-19.
1: Yeah, I mean, the I think NeNe and, was it Jeffrey? Um, won the Trolls World tour red carpet premiere access, and I was like, Well, that sucks because that went vert, uh, that didn't happen. But also, I was like, Well, I mean, a red carpet premiere isn't that big a deal, I'm sure they can get some sort of a monetary prize that's even better. <laughs> um, but the one for this week I, or actually it was last week i i felt in my bones which was two tickets to tokyo olympics for the olympics i know and first of all i was like i'm just obsessed with tokyo uh i was born there but also the olympics are you kidding me huh you're
0: an olympics bitch too Oh my god. Well, I watch that shit and I'm just I fucking love the Olympics so much. I threw a viewing party. I throw viewing parties for like opening ceremonies. Like I get all into it. It's a month of like (laughs) a
1: month, like three weeks of pure joy. I I, I mean look, the only sports I watch are Olympics, the spelling bee, and (laughs) <laughs> and I call these sports, by the way. And, uh, I think sometimes darts, but, um, but yeah, I don't watch regular sports. I don't watch team sports.
0: I watch the Olympics. I um, only watch the Olympics. Hell yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. really like watching sports, but I like the drama yeah. of sports. You like the storyline? The Olympics yeah. gives you. Look, I will yeah. occasionally
1: watch World Cup because I used to play soccer, but I don't have any team uh, allegiances. So I just like to go wake up in the morning when we could go to a pub at 5 a.m. and watch with expats um, and and just like random because the thing is, it's like L.A. isn't a great. Well, America isn't a great country for soccer. So I like hanging out with foreigners when I watch soccer just because their enthusiasm is different. Um, But it usually means also that I'm like in the morning (laughs) I'm eating like a sausage or something and like having a beer. And so that's it's more of the experience and less me watching soccer. That's important. Um, but yeah, Olympic
0: bitch, Olympics bitch. <laughs> Marvin, are you an Olympics bitch?
2: I lo- I do love the Olympics.
0: Um, I occasionally will rewatch old opening ceremonies for fun. Like mm. that's how deep it goes for
2: the exquisite um, commentary.
0: Oh, I watch the BBC <laughs> oh, yeah. where there's like no commentary because their the American commentary is terrible. <laughs> it's racist. It's racist, it's terrible, it's a commercial every 30 seconds and you're just yeah. like Th- those Visa commercials that Morgan Freeman narrates for the Olympics are also really good. It's everywhere. They make you me cry.
1: <laughs> uh, speaking of things that make, might make you cry Marvin, what's popping?
2: Alright, we're running a little long so I'll, I'll be quick with this. It's actually the most simple of our what's popping. I caught up with season 3 of Westworld which I didn't realize was only 8 episodes this season. It's like pretty short. Yeah, it's shorter. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I've been seeing a lot of people saying um, that they're not into this season. And I can see why, because it's a big departure from previous seasons of Westworld. Like, Westworld's for people who don't know or don't have HBO or don't care about anything that's not Game of Thrones on HBO. It's basically, it's a sci-fi series. First two seasons took place in a, a theme park where you have, I guess, they're androids, right? Or cyborgs androids androids
1: yeah they're androids
2: yeah it's a theme park um with androids for rich people to go and live out their you know deepest darkest fantasies with no inhibitions because all the people in the parks are all robots who uh can feign humanity but aren't real and so they can go and be their worst and darkest selves and and so the series is based on a one of Michael Crichton's first screenplays um, about a park where the robots kind of come, become sentient and starts hunting down the visitors, which is kind of what happens in Season 2 of Westworld. So Season 2 ends with um, them putting down this robot insurrection, but a couple of the androids being able to escape and becoming free. So Season 3 is actually the first time we actually see the outside world and um, most of it takes place in future Los Angeles, which is pretty cool because a lot of the landmarks are still the same. So we see um, the LA Metro, we see Hotel Indigo, and they all look exactly the same, like 200 years in the future or whatever. But this season was all about the um, the main character um, played by Evan Rachel Wood um, named Dolores and her Plan for, um, I guess you can call it, revenge against her creators. And the way that story plays out, I know some people have problems with. I actually don't mind it. I think it was a pretty good sci-fi story. But what I was more interested in was the world building, especially especially this world where, for much of Westworld, you see the world through um, these characters who are kind of the uber-rich and kind of ultra-liberal elite corporate class who are able to afford to come to this advanced theme park Um, And the working class people that kind of service them, right? But in season three, we get to see how the outside society um, exists. And what we get is a um, pre-punk cyberpunk world that is kind of teetering on the edge of dystopia. Or maybe they're already there and we just don't realize yet because it hasn't exposed itself in the service. But it's definitely a society in decline. And a lot of what the central conflict of for this season is... Like this idea that humanity, if left to its own devices, will destroy itself. And so the ruling class, in this case, like a huge billionaire, decides to institute controls over society by harnessing the power of data to create a system that predicts your trajectory in life based on like your genetic conditions, your upbringing, your surroundings, your environment. And they create a profile of you. And based on that profile, there are things you're allowed to do and things you aren't allowed to do. And the system ends up putting you in places where you will pretty much do the least amount of damage and the least amount of disruption. And so to force humanity on this path that will lead to um, it not destroying itself. And so one of the new characters in this series, played by Aaron Paul um, named Caleb, is someone who is one of those people who, are left behind, right? The data shows that he's not going to amount to anything. And so he's left to live in like the fringes of society as like a construction worker and petty criminal. And he's not allowed to advance in society because um, the system won't let him, even though he is a veteran and he's you know paid his debt because of what his profile says he is. The society run by data won't let him advance his own station, which is crazy because that's kind of how, like, we're seeing that in real life these days with, like, the um, the Hukou system in China and just how all these big tech companies are just harvesting our data and using it to predict what we'll buy and what we'll do. I mean, there are marketing companies whose main product is creating profiles for specific, like, personas, right? So the central conflict of this season is actually this fight between, like, self-determination and this, like, technocratic utilitarianism where like do you put your trust in a system that takes away individual choice or gives the illusion of individual choice in return for stability and this future where humanity will survive and maybe even thrive although who gets to thrive is like the question right versus this idea of free will and individualism that creates more chaos but also allows you to make your own decisions and it's really interesting because it's essentially the same conflict that the the androids had in the park where they're trying to transcend their own programming to become a new being. In the same way, does humanity transcend its own programming and need for conformity to um, create a new world? And, you know, in the, at the end of the season, a new world is created. And, you know, without going to spoilers, it'll be really interesting to see where season four goes.
1: Well, interestingly enough, I mean, I enjoyed the season just for exactly what you said. It's for me. It's more of the trappings of it. Mm. I didn't really love the story, Um, (laughs) but with the whole concept of free will versus, you know, like uh, fate. Let's say, um, I liked it because devs did that too, Mm. where basically the the because they were dealing with the idea of the multiverse. Like if you as this person, every single universe did the same thing, then that means you're you have to do it, and like you can't change it. Um, and then um, then of course like Lily Chan, she had to s- figure out whether or not she agreed with that, and if she was gonna try to change it, or if that was also preordained. So yeah, I, <laughs> I-, I like those like deep questions. Um, sometimes yeah. the way they answer them are a little bit simplistic, which is kind of maybe my issue with Westworld this season. Yeah, but I mean, it, I mean, right. it has
2: the um, the typical Nolan slash J.J. Abrams problem where it's like sticking the landing is hard. And a lot of the threads, I guess, mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that um, maybe weren't as nuanced as you'd like it to be.
1: I mean, yeah, uh, I have other issues with the show, but I won't bring them up right now.
2: Yeah, Um <laughs> But I thought like I thought, the setting, like the world building was top notch. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. The character and motivations themselves, you know, quite a bit of missed opportunities here and there. I mean, the one main thing that I thought the season could have used more of was more Leonardo Nam. Because he appeared in one scene in the, in the entire season. And, I mean, he wasn't even real in that scene. Spoiler warning.
1: Oh, I know. I was really <laughs> pissed because... Um we received an email at Sloan like you want to speak to Leonardo Nam and I was like oh I would like to but I was like I've only seen a couple episodes and he's barely in it and then and then I was like let's see how much he's in it later and maybe we can circle back nope <laughs> because and then I was looking to see if like he was doing other projects because that way it could like maybe do a two for one and make it a meteor um, interview because like I always want to support and I think he's actually really great um, he's well spoken about so many of good good issues but i didn't want to just like not have that peg you know like hey i'm gonna talk to you about westworld but you're barely in it this season like it's not a great
2: yeah i mean it's something that we run into a lot in these especially as members of like the media and also like the community right where you want to support whenever you can but you don't want to like you don't want to give someone credit for doing like not even the bare minimum like if someone is in it for like a scene and they're not even substantial the story and don't even have any lines and it's not on the actor, it's on the production. Like, I'm not going to give you a cookie for putting Asian face on your screen. You need to do more to feature the Asian voice and character for it to mean something to me.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and I'll just be like, I usually just take note of the, you know, the publicist. And I like whenever I see something else, then I will circle back with them. Yeah. You know, hopefully we um,
2: yeah cast leonardo nam he's very talented and very funny and he'll liven up any production he's in we are leonardo nam stands nam stands
0: australian too yeah oh yeah he's so aussie (laughs) let let him do a role in his like (laughs) with his his accent the australian fly (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, but yeah um been enjoying that um if you're interested in speculative fiction, I think it's, it's worth watching. And then, you know, formal opinions, whether you like it or not. But I think it's worth watching, especially if, if you have HBO Max. It's you can watch it. You
1: know, <laughs> <laughs> One of the HBO's, maybe you'll get to watch
0: it. <laughs> Which right. one? We don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Um, on this episode, we're going to be talking about the latest, um, I guess, news in our news segment. Do we want this. Um, and we'll get to that after this break. a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Phoba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app.
3: And welcome back to Good
2: Pop Culture Club. Uh... It's been quite a month, guys. Who knew there were so many deals still being made during this month where everything's been shut down?
0: Yeah, I think they're trying to make sure that when things are open again, they're ready to go out the gate. So yeah. I think that I think some people are just trying to prove that their job, you know, still need <laughs> still need to be doing and paying getting paid to do their job. So, yeah, there's that.
2: Well, yeah, and,
1: and
0: and and also just give people hope. yeah Han's a much nicer person
2: (laughs) well I'm really excited about a lot of these Um, let's start with uh, our first story Uh, Deadline is reporting a new package that includes um, Aquafina and Karen Gillum who both were featured in um, the latest Jumanji sequel they're attached to come back together in a film called Chili an action comedy script by Michael Doniger and Liz Storm produced by Ian Bryce Productions and directed by Jude Wang Shelly is a story that takes place uh, a decade after an embarrassing prom prank ran Shelly Wheeler, played by Aquafina, out of town, and hardened her heart so much that she became an ice-cold hit woman. And she learns that her next target is her high school tormentor, Dinah Park, played by Karen Gillan, who... I I feel like these names Do you think be they switch switched, the names? I right? think they
0: switched the names by accident.
2: On this story? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Deadline.
0: I...
1: I mean, as long as Awkwafina's the one who's being the hit woman, I'm okay with no, that. I no, think, I think she's the tormentor.
2: Really?
1: Oh. I mean, because I know the names are switched, but like, I want to see her as a hit woman, but yeah, you're probably right.
0: I th- In my head, it makes more sense for Karen Gillian, who has played that kind of like steely yeah. Yeah. woman before. So
1: in the Marvel I think, universe.
2: I, I don't know why, but my excitement for the story has just gone down a little yeah. bit. <laughs> um basically they become friends apparently during this time and then now Shelley has to defend diana from another hit crew hired to kill them both so um it's being pitched as mean girls meets barry but it just reminds me of girls point blank do you guys remember that john cusack i love 90s that movie, movie. Yes, and yes it got me thinking about how you know how Pop culture trends are cyclical, right? Like the last few years, we've been getting a lot of 80s nostalgia stuff. And now we're in 90s nostalgia because people like us who grew up in the 90s are now green lighting movies. And so I feel like someone watched Scrolls Point Blank. And then this is that initial like love of that re-manifesting in, in this story. At least that's my theory. But yeah, like, what do you guys think? Do we want this?
1: You know what? I'm going to choose to believe... That Aquafina is the hit woman. Like I, I like the, the the names they, or they decided at the last minute. You know what? Why don't we try switching them? Um, <laughs> and I mean, regardless, I'd watch it. But I do believe I, I, I'm holding out hope that she is gonna be the hit woman because um, I want to see her. You know, it's like Stone Cold. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd watch it. I, I'd, I would definitely want to see whatever they do because either role would be interesting for me to see
2: i want to see karen gillian as like a bully because
0: yeah i like everyone involved with this project um except um well i don't i'm not very familiar with uh ian bryce sorry to that man but (laughs) everyone else aquafina and karen gillian who i've been a fan of since doctor who and jude (laughs) wang directing is really Mm -hmm. exciting to me jude wang is a very very um
2: she does love TV, right?
0: Prominent TV yeah. half hour like comedy director. So she's very talented. So I'm I'm also a sucker for a good like action comedy movie, you know, like a buddy comedy movie. Um and so I'm I'm for it. This is the this is kind of the joyful movies I want right now. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it sounds so great. I would totally be down for this.
2: Yeah. All right, just want to why don't you take our next story?
0: Okay. Uh also Deadline reports that Nine Perfect Strangers is going to be adapted as a Hulu limited series starring Nicole Kidman, Melissa McCarthy, but really who we all who we're all here for, Manny Jacinto. Is it Jacinto <laughs> or Jacinto? He
2: I think says You should yeah. really know this. He says Jacinto, and every time he's Jacinto. on the interview, everyone's complaining about how he pronounces his own name. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's mm. that's messed <laughs> that's up. That's classy. I know that. <laughs> I've I've been there. Um, well, not me personally, but I know that happens. But yeah, so it is a book originally written by Leanne Mor- Moriarty, 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 mm. Mori- yeah. Moriarty, as like the Sherlock villain who uh, famously wrote Big Little Lies, and it's it's very similar team. So David E. Kelly is going to be the producer. I see he's going to show run and write. Uh, it's David E. Kelly, John Henry Butterworth of the Butterworth brothers. They're known for movies like edge of tomorrow. And I think they do like a lot of script doctoring behind the scenes. And uh, Samantha Strauss are going to write it. And it's going to be show run by David Kelly and John Butterworth. So kind of interesting you know i always i'm always have mixed reactions when it's two men in charge of a story about predominantly women (laughs) but the premise of the premise of the story is that i guess like these nine strangers hence the title are meeting in a like hippie commune like retreat in uh in the desert and so nicole kidman is playing the retreat leader melissa mccarthy and manny jacinto are playing two characters who also work on the retreat with her and we're gonna get a interesting cast of characters to fill out the rest of the story so do we want this
2: i want anything with more manny in it especially since the good place has ended and the top gun is nowhere in sight so
1: (laughs) i am open to it uh I did not even finish the second season of Big Little Lies. Uh, so David E. Kelly and Nicole Kidman are not gold to me automatically. However, I do actually like Leah and Moriarty as an author. And so I think her storytelling is very vibrant and interesting. And what she does with women is good. So he can't mess it up that much because it's not like he's going to like just oh, be monkey's making- paw, Han. Monkey's hey. paw. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so... Uh, so... I think this might be definitely an interesting story. And of course with Manny in there, like I, I just, I'm all for just adding him to any story you want um, just to normalize his existence in every project.
0: So. I do find it interesting that the two other main characters outside of Nicole Kidman are primarily known for the comedic roles. Uh, the, I do know Melissa McCarthy is a very great, she's a great dramatic actress as well. Uh, Cause she got, she got, I don't know if she got nominated, but definitely um mm-hmm. what was that film she was in? I'm um, Can You Ever Love Me or something? Could you Could, could You, you ever, ever Forgive Me. Forgive Me. Yeah. yeah. Forgive me. Uh, you know, she got a lot of great buzz on that. And t- I've typically found that comedy actors tend to be pretty strong in the dramatic yes. realm as well. Not so successful the other way sometimes. <laughs> but it'd be well, interesting to see Manny in a more dramatic role or I'm wondering if they're gonna take it in a, a certain comedic slant.
1: Yeah, I totally but, agree. And I I also think that comedians are not usually given their due as actors because people think comedy is easy. Whereas you actually have to know timing and your micro expressions to do comedy. And that's why I think they are great dramatic actors when they what, try like, their hand there.
0: Like, do you think Nicole Kidman can do comedy?
1: Oh, God. Has only, she done comedy only, before? Only accidentally. <laughs> um, like, she has to be in the scene where someone else is doing comedi- uh, comedic things and her her straight person is, like, funny. Um, but I, Leo, know, uh, I yeah yeah I mean what do I do what?
0: Bewitched in person. I saw Bewitched <laughs> oh when it came oh out God. in theaters. Yes, I, I'm I sorry. remember that. I'm still traumatized from it.
2: That's true. And in Bewitched, her character is the goofball. Like Will Ferrell's character was supposed to be the straight man, right? <laughs> and
1: <laughs> and it did not work. Will Ferrell's actually a decent again comedian as a as a dramatic actor. However, this was not even a dramatic role. It was a bad comedy. So whatever.
2: Um. <laughs> I mean. With Manny, um, Nicole, and Melissa, obviously she's the obvious straight person. Um, but who knows? But you never know. I,
0: I would love to see Manny um, flex more. He's so good as Jianyu, Jason, in the good place. He is pound for pound, I think, like the funniest character. He does not get that much lines or screen time. But if you even just watch him in the backs, Back like the background scenes when he's like just doing random actions, they're like always hilarious. He he's great, so I'm really excited to see him. In this yeah, role.
2: do you think he's gonna be playing another like Asian bro character or? Is I need to read this meatier? book and then I'll yeah. figure it
0: out. <laughs> Well, the book is set is... in Australia. I don't think the characters are inherently Australian, but no, they're, I probably wonder... gonna, they're probably going to they're probably going to transplant it. Australia, just like they did. Australians, a hard accent to nail down. Yeah,
1: but yeah, I'll read the book first to see because yeah, they did transplant um, Big Little Lies so from That's Australia true. to here. Yeah. All right. All right. Han. Speaking of adaptations uh variety is reporting that um annapurna tv finally won a really huge bidding war for um celeste Ng's debut novel which everyone i'm sure read but i haven't yet mm-hmm. um everything i never told you uh this is of course on the heels of uh, little fires everywhere being adapted to hulu and actually being like very well received um so uh what would you say well, I don't know. Can someone fill in the plot for me? <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, so um, actually, we read Everything I Never Told You as one of our early book club picks for um, Books and Boba, which is the book club podcast that I also host um, on the podcast network. And it's, um, it's very different from Little Fires Everywhere. It's another piece of, um, I guess, historical fiction. I think it takes place in, I want to say, the early 70s. Um, and it's about a mixed-race family, uh, a Chinese-American dad and a white mom and their three children. And the story opens with the family realizing that the middle child, uh, the middle sister Lydia, has taken their own life. And what follows is a unraveling of both the family dealing with this loss and also the events that led to the loss, uh, starting with the childhood of both parents and leading to them meeting with each other and starting a family and so on. It's a pretty interesting um, um, examination of, of all the things that like you don't say to someone because you mm-hmm. think it's good for them. It's a family drama, first of all, but also includes because it involves a mixed race family. Um, a lot of racial stuff comes into play too, especially with the dad being a, um, I think he's a paper son, right? In in the story or is the child of a paper no, son no he
0: his he might be the child of a paper son but mm-hmm. he he's a uh, he's born if he's not born in america he's he grew up in america but his parents um were working class immigrants so he definitely has this weird chip on his shoulder um and this, i think it's also important to explain that this is set in like rural ohio or like a more mm. rural area this is not like a big metropolitan area and um he he the the dad is a professor at a small college of american in the history area. yeah ironically of american history well he he it's part of his character he's very deliberately has uh chosen to study american history but not just american history but cowboys and westerns is his specialty um so that's and then that's him. and then it goes into the backstory of how they met and the relationship of the parents and all the different baggage and assumptions and kind of expectations they've brought yeah. into the marriage and have poisted onto their children
2: yeah i mean the mother is a white woman but she was forced to give up a medical career to have a family so her wanting to live through her daughter also puts pressure on the daughter the daughter herself has a really close relationship with the brother but the brother has just left for college, right? He's like left for the first time and she's like left alone. So all these come to a head in in the story. And I'd be I'm sorry, I was just
0: like, this is the worst case scenario of like the emotionally stunted Asian family who doesn't talk about their feelings. Like this is like the worst case scenario of what can happen. Yeah,
2: like the perfect storm of like Asian Asian non communication and like waspy non communication put together. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and not being able to deal with your own families because of the non communication. So yeah, yeah,
2: and there's a
0: lot of like there's internalized racism, and there's it t- talks about a lot of things, but through this very, uh, very interesting family dynamic. Um, Which is, I think it's important. To also, sorry, go. Oh, yeah.
2: Which is why it's really great that because this had been optioned a couple years ago as a film. As a film. And it was going to be written by, like, two white dudes, right? Or... And
0: starring Julia Roberts. Oh, boy. Yeah. Which was announced, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad. It, hopefully, the series will give it a, lot, a bigger time to breathe. And I actually do think casting Julia Roberts is a... Not that she's not a phenomenal actress, and I think people forget that. But, like, casting Julia Roberts in a movie changes the stakes. And then I think that limits who you can cast as the dad... Right, like who would you cast? Who can play opposite Julia Roberts, in terms of, and who can, can go head to head with her, in terms of like, you know, acting and like star power and all these things that you know the economics of movies requires you to think about. So, like yeah. at this scale, I'm hoping that we might get some new discoveries. Yeah, we might get some like I- I'm really excited about who they're gonna cast as the kids, and hopefully, I think these are some really great roles, especially because it's it's. I mean, they better cast mixed-race actors, biracial actors, because that's literally the whole point of the story. There's, Mm -hmm. like, really no fudging it this time. Um, And you really have to cast, like, an Asian Chinese or Asian actor, male actor to play the dad. Good thing there are so many choices
2: for Asian dad these days.
0: Asian daddies. Yeah, (laughs) daddies. Daddies. Um, I would like to—I volunteer to help with this casting search.
2: (laughs) Um, but, but going back to the production, um, I'm glad that they've kind of rejiggered this um, this adaptation because now it's also being produced by a major media, which is the new production company of uh, Mary Lee, who is like an Asian American producer. And I think that was that this story is, has so much nuance that it's real easy to like fuck up. Right, it's, It'd be so easy to like just mess it up and not have the right yeah. voices.
1: So you know the writer's room is gonna be taken care of because the production company is gonna make sure about that.
2: We can hope we can only hope well
1: most <laughs> likely Celeste is gonna be also yeah. a producer on the, just like how she was on Little fires everywhere and but so, she was
2: pretty hands off for little fires everywhere wasn't she,
1: she 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 was, but at the same time they did consult her like mm. on the things they changed, they kind of got her blessing and then they she discussed like character. You know, like motivations and things like that. So it's not like uh, the it would be changed in such a way that didn't make sense. Let's say.
2: Yeah. So looking forward to this, this adaptation. Um, I really enjoyed the book, so I'm really. I hadn't read Little Fires Everywhere, but I have read this book, so I'm going to be one of those people. This Whereas is I'm, like the, a, we want it. this is we the want rare. The <laughs> i'm usually the one who watched the movie first before reading anything or e- oh. if anything i still never have read any harry potter's but i've watched the movies you know oh i always like to read I'm the one book of those first
1: people. um i like to read the book first and so at least i because of pandemic i have time to re- read this one before this gets into production so
2: it's one of those books where you kind of need to be in the right headspace too uh, yeah it <laughs> i figured <laughs> um but yeah excited for this project jess who's your top daddy candidate
1: how old does he have to be? Oh my god! What
0: age range? Like forties? 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 A little professor-ish? Like you know? Like not not like big hulking jaw because that is kind of vital to the character dynamics of the marriage. Um. Oh, uh, I. Oh, they're also. I'm just getting flustered. I don't know if. I mean, there's the obvious choices, right? Like, I, I don't know if he's a little too old for it, but like, and, and not specifically Chinese, but great actor. You know, John Cho, I think would be. It would be really interesting mm. to see him. It's such a just a hearty dramatic role for like an Asian American man. Um, I I think I don't think those chances come up very often that's like not action based that's not like you know it's all very internal so uh, you know let's put you know what we've been talking about leonardo nam like you know let's, mm. it'd be great to see him you know doing the american accent and he's just like leonardo's like a little too hot though like <laughs> I'm not saying john's not but i mean leonardo's um, maybe a tad young also um what about Beatty wong he does I have think that experience would be phenomenal yeah, yeah. because is such an amazing know? actor too um and then it'd be just about casting like um who, casting him against the mom character mm. but i'd be really interested to see who they get like together
2: yeah yeah looking forward to tracking the progress of this project that probably won't be out for like another mm-hmm. couple of years um And our last story for today is um, also from Deadline. Hopefully, they have the right names this time. But it's super exciting. Deadline reports that Mindy Kaling and Dan Gore have officially signed on to write MGM's Legally Blonde 3. Reese Witherspoon remains aboard, reprising her role as attorney Elle Woods. And will also be producing through her studio, Hello Sunshine, along with the franchise's original producer, Mark Platt. So, do we want this?
1: Hell Yes! <laughs> I mean, this is like the culmination of Mindy Kaling's rom-com career and making her own wreath. Witherspoon. I mean, them together, it's gonna be perfect. This is, she's made for this.
0: A beam of light shot out <laughs> of my chest when this announcement came out. It's, it's, it's all great things. You know, Reese Witherspoon has been a maybe unsurprisingly powerhouse producer um so now i feel like now even even more than before she has like really been able to like handle her own material and like decide things and have more power and say what's happening so that's always exciting elle woods is an icon (laughs) Uh, and Mindy Kaley has been so good at just subverting these rom-com tropes that we all think of and presenting them in new, fresh, interesting ways. And Dan Gore is a homie. You know, he's a co-creator of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's written for really amazing shows like um, The Office and I believe Parks and Rec as well. Mm-hmm. So all these are seem like they would add up to a really great product, a story, you know, we'll see how the execution is going to land, but this is like it's, it's yeah, I'm so but, excited.
1: <laughs> and when you think about like some of the most recent projects each of these people have done, like never have I ever is the like I still can't get over how good that series was. Um, and what and then of course when you talk about Reese Witherspoon, she produced two of the shows that have now launched these extra deals so she helped produce big little
0: lies and she did little little fires everywhere Everywhere. yep so okay here's my question where do we think Elle woods is right now
2: i mean what's going on i would love to see her as like a elected official in the time of an authoritarian president
1: i think she also has a, a vlog so she can you know keep in touch with her her constituents
0: do we think she's a politician or like a judge now? Or... Oh my God, can you
1: imagine a judge? <laughs> I <laughs> would totally a see that.
0: <sighs> um, yeah. I like Does
1: law firm. Kids? I, think, I think law firm better than judge. But I don't know. I, I'm open to it all.
2: I mean, this is going to be a direct sequel, right? So it'd be kind of interesting to see her as like someone who's become... I mean, do you want to see her as someone who's become jaded and needs to find her in no. her own woods again? No. Or is she still she's the old gonna... woods we know and love? Yeah.
1: No, I think she needs to maintain that because it's kind of like, I think, like Bridget Jones. Like, there's a certain adorableness about these characters and their positivity that I think that we have to have or else it's not them. Um, Mm. And it's the circumstances and age and other things that'll change.
0: Yeah, Um, the the thorough line of the Legally Blonde movies, I feel that really resonate with people, is she's always underestimated. It's never her that... (laughs) can't do it it's people are underestimating her and she has to work against other people's barriers that they've put in front of her and it's really fun to watch her triumph like that Mm -hmm. so I kind of like this idea of a politician like (laughs) but I also like but we also have like season four of Parks and Rec which is very much that (laughs) same feeling so like they can't do that again Um, so I clearly need to do a rewatch but can you remind me of where Elle Woods ended at up in the end of Legally Blonde 2. She successfully passes the bill banning animal testing from cosmetics and chemical companies. And then she ends up getting married to Emmett. And then she like cheekily looks at the White House as they drive off. So maybe there is a political, like, I think she office. needs to be divorced then.
1: And then romance. But from Emmett? And then romance a, a man of color. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but it, uh,
0: it's hard I mean, to say I, no i think her chief i think her chief of staff would be like a wo, a diverse woman and i think her staff maybe she's like maybe there's like a is she like the aoc or like maybe there's another oh. aoc coming like an aoc like character who's coming and or maybe l is like the uh,
2: i want i a mean law yeah. firm. i feel a like partners of a law i firm. feel like the story to tell here that would be the most interesting would be how Elle becomes an ally, as opposed to being the hero. Yeah. Right? I mean, if I were to write it, I guess that's the <laughs> angle I would take. But just based on you know today's time and like just the conversation that we need to have right now, like how can you be a supportive ally to marginalized voices in this time and use your privilege for good?
0: I would watch it. Yeah. I'd watch. I'd watch anything. Yeah, it could honestly, Al Woods like getting her. Uh, Getting her nails done <laughs> and while reading a law book? I'll probably still buy a ticket. Green light, like
1: three sequels. Why don't we? Like, come on.
0: A cinematic
1: universe, if you will. <gasps> L-B-C-U. <laughs> Legally Blonde Cinematic Universe. I like it. Yes.
2: I mean, we're we're franchising everything these days, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. And with that, I guess that'll also do it for this episode of Good Pop. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Do We Want This? our monthly rundown of the month's entertainment and media news. Before we sign off, Jess Han, thanks again for joining me to talk some good pop. If people want to follow your thoughts on social media, where can they go?
0: You can find me at Just You Tweets on Twitter.
1: And you can find me at Hanonymous, that's H-A-N-H-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S.
2: And you can find me at Marvin Yue, that's M-A-R-V-I-N-Y-U-E-H. You can follow the podcast at Good Pop Club and you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher. Um, We're a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. You can check out our fellow Potluck pods, um, such as They Call Us Bruce, First of All, and Saturday School by going to podcastpotluck.com. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, don't forget to ask yourself, do we want this?
0: We want it. We want Legally Blonde 20. Kim! Steve? What's going on?
3: Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas?
0: Oh, um, they have something
1: to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots, because you know they're bad for the environment. Uh,
3: No. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast?
0: Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers.
3: Yes, and people apparently listened to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season.
0: Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia.
3: Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So... Are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast?
0: So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one?
3: Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean drama podcast at koreandramapod.com.
0: Am I going to see sauna towel buns?